Well, there's joy in this house today. And we celebrate Dulce's joy and Mario and Giselle's joy and Christ's journey joy today in this house, in your house. We're praying where you join us wherever across the world that you're joining us from. May you sense God's blessing for you on this day. And uh, we're looking for more this Christmas, more, mas in Espanol. And today it's mas joy. Are you familiar with this emoji? You seen this? The exploding head. This is like, the Emojipedia says this. This represents such emotions as shock, awe, amazement, and disbelief. And so the reason I'm bringing it up is because we're going to hear some exploding head Bible today uh, that is meant to engage our minds and stretch our imaginations out uh, to exploding head type stuff. This is like mind-blowing stuff. And, um, and I would say this, probably everybody here is aware that Christianity is open to criticism. In fact, it's being criticized in our current culture and ridiculed and dismissed as irrelevant or even harmful, blamed as being harmful to our sophisticated, uber-inclusive, diverse culture. Why? Because at the heart of our belief is this, we believe that Jesus Christ to be the one way to right relationship with God, that Jesus Christ is the unique, one-of-a-kind, only begotten Son of God, our Savior, the Savior for the world. Jesus said this, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And okay, so that lands on our culture, and we go, wait a minute, this sounds so narrow, so exclusive. This is why we don't talk about it in our culture that much, right? This is, why can't you just be more open-minded, more universalist, and understanding. Okay, well here, the head exploding truth that reality of Scripture holds for us today is the answer to that question. (laughs) Why? The why behind the what? And I know it's a lot, but I want to ask you to engage your mind for a moment as we, we travel back to the first centuries, those eyewitness accounts of those who experienced Jesus, and as the curtain opens on our drama, Uh, Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 8 is where I'm going to turn our attention. And I asked while I read if we could just have it scrolling like Star Wars style into the starry galaxy. And the reason why is because this is a cosmic text. That's not an exaggeration. Check this out. In the past, God spoke God spoke to our forefathers through prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us through his son, by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and then through whom he made the universe. Now, verse 3. The sun is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty of heaven. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior 
to theirs. And then we put a hold on that as if that wasn't enough. You still with me here? It's like the writer suddenly kicks it into like overdrive in inspiration, stream of consciousness weaving scripture from across time. Lawgiver Moses, King David the poet, prophet Isaiah. Pick it up in verse 5. Look at this. For to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son? And today I have become your father. Or again, I will be his father and he will be my son. And again, when God brings his firstborn into the world, says let all God's angels worship him. Speaking of angels, he says he makes his angels wind and his servants flames of fire. But all of this, all of that, is simply context. That's set up, that's on-ramp to this central thought. That was set up to land this thought. But about the Son, he says, this is God speaking, your throne, O God, your throne, O God, will last forever and ever, and righteousness will be the scepter of your kingdom. You love, you have loved righteousness and you hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with what? The, let's say it together, oil of joy. Joy. All of that, Hebrews chapter 1 opens to land it with the anointing of God's joy. This quote. You know, kings were anointed to their position and to their power with an anointing of oil. That's what he's referencing. And this quote comes from Psalm 45. Psalm 45, and that is a king's wedding psalm. It was a song written for a king's wedding where the anointing that would be dripping from the king's head who's enjoying the wedding would be joy. The word means mirth. It means jolly laughter. It means a good sense of humor. <laughs> it means joy. So let's summarize the thought with these words. God voluntarily reveals himself through the magnificence of creation and the matchless incarnation of Jesus Christ for the sheer joy of it. That's what the writer's trying to say. Christ mass joy. God came in Christ for joy. <laughs> Head exploding joy, mind blowing joy, cascading down from the throne of infinite, almighty God, and then lasting forever and ever and spreading joy in the process. And what we're supposed to gather from this, I think, is that God spared no expense. I don't know, as you got your Christmas list out and you're getting presents for people you care about, maybe you thought, well, you get what you pay for and quality lasts, right? And so God is thinking, how much will I pay and what kind of quality will it need to be so it will last forever and ever? And what this is telling us is he spared no expense to get you the highest quality top shelf gift ever in the entire expansive history of the known cosmos and beyond. Amen. 
This is the level that we are invited to reach in Jesus the Christ. This is the why behind the what of uh, Christmas. Christ Moss. Now, some of you, uh, I'm assuming perhaps all of us have been to Versailles. Uh, oh, wait, I'm not talking about the restaurant on Calle Ocho. I'm talking about the palace, the palatial palace outside of Paris, France, Versailles, where Louis XIV had this thing built. Uh, our family visited it when Corey was there studying abroad, and we were there uh, in France during her college years. King Louis XIV branded himself as the Sun King. Uh, with symbols of radiance that are spread throughout all over the palace Versailles. And he took this symbol from Greek mythology for Apollo, the god of the sun. And then his palace was designed to be the temple of the sun god on earth. That was his inspiration, at the personal temple. And so what he did, he designed it throughout. He decorated it with statues of symbols of Apollo of the sun, and then of himself, <laughs> of himself as the sun king. Um, but those who knew him, and if you know any of this history, and those who knew him best, knew that he was not a god at all. He was a little man, full of himself, with enough wealth and enough enamored with power to try to play make-believe as if he deserved worship. Now, those who knew Jesus, those who were the closest to him, those who witnessed his life, they say he demonstrated the power of God. Not in his wealth, not in his playing make-believe, but in the power of God. What kind of power? The power to heal diseased bodies. The power to raise dying bodies. The power to command nature and the wind and the waves obey. God stuff that they saw and they didn't get and they didn't understand, but they recorded it for us. They said in his wisdom, he said, nobody speaks like this man. It's a whole other level of truth being shared and then he forgives sin. He forgives sin. He claimed, who does that but God? And yet Jesus does it as if he were God? Yeah, it created great problems for theologians of his day. Jesus even, and he wouldn't stop it to the very end. He said, this is my body's bro being broken for you, and my blood is going to be poured out for you in this new covenant that God is making with you in me as God. And then the biggest head-exploding wonder of them all, you go around churches, they talk about it a lot, but... <laughs> Think about the first time this was heard, the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. Resurrection from the dead, proof of his godness. Hebrews 1 summarizes that as providing, uh, 
providing purification for sins. And then it says, after Jesus finished the work of atonement, he sat down. Now, you know, when you sit down is after the job is done. He's just saying he finished the entire work of atonement, and then he sat down. But where did he sit? At the right hand of the majesty in heaven. That means God's work was complete as God in Jesus Christ. God was speaking in Jesus Christ in a globally and cosmically transcendent, eternally relevant way. Mind-blowing. And this is why He is the way. This is why we say He is the way. And, and this is so very different from Louis XIV and every other wannabe earthly king who plays like they are God. God of their reality, God of their truth, God of their life. I remember Steve Brown saying one time, well, if I'm God, then why does my back still hurt? You'd think I could do something about that. Every one of our earthly wannabe kings, the book of Hebrews gives us God's perspective on Jesus Christ and how he, fulfilling the promises and the prophecies of ages past, is now God's final word of salvation revelation. And, and here's what it says. Let's just, let's just list them off real quickly here. It says, he's the heir of all things. That means when you're dead, it all goes to him. An heir inherits after death. This is, it all goes back to him when this world is done. It's all his. He's the agent of divine creation. It came from him and through him and before it ever got to you. He is the radiance of God's very glory, the transcendence shown through him on the mountain of transfiguration that they saw. He is the exact representation of God's being. What? Wait. Boom. 100% God. 100% the exact? Yeah. This is mind-blowing. Think about it. Sustainer of all things by his powerful word. Provider of atonement for sin. The one, the one who ascended to the right hand of the majesty in the cosmos. This is the claim. The son of God. One of a kind. God's firstborn brought into this world. He was like, he's the firstborn prince in the house of the king, and he came into our world. Superior to the angels, worshiped by the angels, glory in excelsis Deo, enthroned in righteousness over evil because he took it to the cross and he conquered it in his resurrection from the dead. And the one anointed with what? Joy. Mass joy is what Christmas is about. I want to say this is so much better than Meat Lover's Pizza. I love Meat Lover's Pizza. <laughs> and people say this, feed me, Pastor. Where's the meat? Right there. Right there. Here it is. Here it is. Chew on this. Think about this. Try to wrap your head around this. Sit with this. If you want to know why we say Jesus Christ is the one way to God is because God came in Jesus to make the way for you. This is it. And right now, I'm telling you, this is as relevant as your very existence, your sustenance right now. The Scripture says that Jesus Christ is sustaining all things by his powerful word. Now, one of the mind-boggling discoveries of the Human Genome Project, maybe you know this, is uh, that the genetic code 
is the longest word ever discovered. It's written in chemical letters, four basic chemical letters, but that word is 3.5 billion letters long. And every one of the 10 trillion cells in your body possess this word, sustaining you. Uh, better, it'd be better to say are possessed by this word. This is the current science. And, uh, and that word is essence of your identity. And here's the question, whose word is that? Who wrote that word? John Lennox, who we were privileged to have on this platform some years ago, and I was privileged to study with at Oxford University, when was it, last summer or summer before, he said this, you know, we have only to see a few letters of the alphabet spelling our name in the sand to recognize at once the work of an intelligent agent. You see your name written in the sand, you immediately think, somebody wrote that. And when science discovers this longest word in the history of the entire cosmos to our understanding as human beings, does it make sense to say, who wrote that? The writer of Hebrews says, God did. It's God's word. He is sustaining your very essence, your very identity at this very moment. He is at work in Christ, sustaining all things by his powerful word. And something also incredibly amazing about this, I mean, this is stuff, but something also is that the author of Hebrews in the first century is a Jew. Why does that matter? Well, pagan beliefs like Apollo, they got mythologies left and right about gods who become human beings. Mythologies. But not until Jesus of Nazareth did it happen in concrete historical reality with the eyewitnesses and the evidences that we've already talked about here which makes it all the more amazing because the Jews were the absolute last, would have been the absolute last to ever have embraced or believed such a heretical, blasphemous claim. A human being, God? No, no. That's what, they, they didn't know what to do with it. It was like, and yet Jesus is a Jew. And the ones who witnessed his life and his miracles and his words were Jews. Every writer of the New Testament was a Jew. They were trained to know the difference between blasphemers in their humanity who would dare claim something like this. And yet, here they are now writing and testifying that Jesus of Nazareth is the living God in human form. From a dimension beyond us, he came to live as one of us. He was born into this world and then revealing God in the flesh to live among us, then to die for us, and then to rise for us, and then to ascend to glory where he is seated right now at the right hand of majesty. Why did he come to do it? Joy. <laughs> joy. 
Joy is part of the answer. And the writer of Hebrews weaves that back in again. Later in the letter, he says, Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, for the joy who was set before him endured the cross. And then he sat down, finished his job, then he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God for the joy of it. You know, Jesus told his disciples, those people that would pay any attention to him, he said, I came that my joy might be in you and that your joy might be full. Is your joy full today? Jesus is essentially saying this, I don't think you have enough joy in your life. That's why I came. That's why we sing joy to the world, because you don't have enough joy in your life. You looking for something to top off your joy tank today? Jesus isn't simply an additive (laughs) He is the fullness of joy. And when you know him, something happens, something changes. And that's why Jesus came. The truth is you're never going to be happy without God in your life. You're an atheist today. You're an agnostic today. And I'm telling you, you're not as happy as you could be. (laughs) You're not going to be happy without God in your life. Because God is the fullness of joy and he came in Christ. More to expand on this next week, but he came to bring it within reach of you. Maybe you know the story of the Russian cosmonaut who returned from his trip to space, 1962. Atheist, Russian cosmonaut. And this is what he said. After he got back from space, it was in headlines. You know, I was out there. There is no God. I didn't see him. I didn't see any angels. Where's God? C.S. Lewis, who was alive and responding at the time, he wrote this. He said, looking for God by exploring space is like reading or seeing all of Shakespeare's plays in hope of meeting the author. And then summarized it this way. The only way Hamlet could ever know Shakespeare is if the author were to write himself, invite himself into the story. And speaking of that, Dorothy Sayers is a fiction writer. Um, She writes mystery novels, detective stories. She was one of the first women to ever graduate from Oxford University. And she, one of her lead characters, his name is um, Lord Pitney, or Peter Whimsey. Lord Peter Whimsey. He's the detective that would solve the crimes in her stories. But Whimsey is also uh, an unhappy broken bachelor until a woman named Harriet Vane shows up and her love starts to heal his broken soul. But she doesn't show up until halfway through the novels and then suddenly, there she is. And you get the backstory on that. Um, You know what happened? Sayers looked at the world she had created as a novelist And she fell in love with the chief character in her story. (laughs) And she thought, he needs some help. And so she wrote herself into the story so she could go help him out and bring healing into his life. What does that have to do with us today? Here's the mind-exploding truth. God has written himself into our story into your story for love. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 9 says that Jesus Christ is the king who was anointed 
full of joy. Remember that Psalm, Psalm 45, is a wedding day psalm. Happy, happy day for the king, which is so interesting because Psalm 45, on the wedding day, the joy of the king is going to be celebrated with many, but primarily with the beauty of his bride who has captivated his heart and enthralled the king with her charm. So it's talking about intimate joy with the beauty who has seized his heart. That's what Psalm 45 is written about. And yet the writer of Hebrews reaches back to that psalm and weaves it into this story at this time and says, our sovereign God who holds all things in existence has come into our story in this fallen world of your broken dreams and of your broken hearts and our broken souls and lives. And he says he came because he loves us and so that our joy could be full the joy of spiritual intimacy with him in love. God has spoken across time, the writer starts, in many ways, in many different times. In other words, God is not silent to the years of faith. If you seek him, you'll find. If you listen, you'll hear. Moses, he spoke to Moses in a bush. He spoke in the thunder and the storm. He spoke to Elijah in a deep time of depression with a whisper, with a gentle whisper. God spoke to Jonah in his rebellion through a great fish when he had bottomed out. God spoke to a young teenager named Mary through an angel's visit. God spoke, Paul says in the book of Romans, that God speaks to us through nature, through conscience, through his commandments, through this need we have for justice to be done. But the final word, the writer of Hebrews says, is that God is still speaking through all of time, in our time, through Jesus Christ, the one of a kind. Mary Christ, mas. More joy, mas joy. Where are we going with this? I think the Lord just wants to lift your imagination. Maybe you've been thinking too low. Maybe you, it, it's, it's a day for, for God to help you soar on the wings of his truth to a level you haven't experienced ever or maybe for a while. Something that would just like expand your mind and then take you to a new place to help you get above the petty and the mundane things that are so crass and so garish this time of year in our culture. And to say, you know what? You want joy, you're not going to find it at the mall. You want joy, you're not going to find it at the bar. You want joy, you're not going to find it in that bed. What is God saying for those who would listen? You're going to find it in Jesus. I I put all of myself, I came with all of who I am for you that you might know my joy. Maybe you could just ask Jesus right now, am I missing some joy, Lord? Would you open my eyes to help me see what I don't see? Would you open my understanding so I could know what I don't know? And I don't know what I don't know. So would you help me? 
Maybe you've been doing the drill of church, and you know the drill. You know, stand up, sing, sit down, listen, go home, repeat. What if God was trying to say, this is so much more than what you know, and I would like to take you there? Would you be willing? Are you listening? And then, wedding day joy. Wedding day joy. Receive the joy. And then, you know what? You spread it because you can't help it. With wedding days, that's how it is, you know? Why are you so happy? Ha! Let me tell you. Right? So, maybe you're thinking of somebody right now that could use a little joy in your life. Family member, friend, neighbor, business associate, somebody. Maybe it's hard to start a conversation. But maybe you could say, you know, a place where I go to get my joy renewed and refreshed, I'd love for you to come with me sometime. Would you like to know where? For Moss Joy this year? Let's cry Christ's journey. Moss Joy. And let Christmas become real for you. And then through your invitation, somebody else experiences that. In fact, I want to ask this before we pray. Have you ever sensed God prompting you to share his message with somebody else? And I mean, maybe somebody who you, you, maybe you're thinking, I don't know, I'm not a preacher, man, I'm a banker. I'm a lawyer. I sell cars. You know, I fix bodies. And yet you still had this prompting, this something that says, God, are you doing something? I want to ask if you have ever had a, sim, a, a kind of compelling or a prompting that made you wonder, is God putting a call on my life? Then I would love to visit with you and pray with you after service or maybe sometime this week if you'd give me a call. And let's see what God might be up to and then how your church family can come alongside and, and put some wings under that call so that more joy could be spread. For today, let's pray and ask God to open our understanding. Jesus, thank you. We're in awe of you. You are so magnificent. You are matchless. There is none like you. There's only one of you. You're a one of a kind, and your love is incomparable. And we just want to say thank you. Thank you. Oh, God, thank you. We're so blind. We get so easily distracted. We get ensnared. We live for lesser things. And yet, today, you're lifting our eyes. We, if we want what you want for us, Lord, take us to a higher place. Brother, sister, are you open to that? Then would you say, God, speak to me. I'm listening. And then lean in where he prompts you. Maybe you're here today and you've been through the religion drill and you would like to know more. You would like mass joy. Jesus said, you'll get it when I bring it with me when you welcome me into your life. So if you would like to pray to receive Jesus Christ by faith right now, I invite you to join me in this prayer. Lord Jesus, I thank you for loving me, for bringing the whole presence of God into our world for me so that my sins could be forgiven through your death on the cross and my life could come alive with your life in me 
because you rose from the dead. Forgive my sins. Come into my life. I turn from pretending like I'm somehow my own God. And now teach me. Help me learn how to follow you as my true and living God. And thank you for hearing my prayer as I make it in your name. Our heads still bowed just for a moment. But if you ask Jesus to come into your life and would let me pray God's blessing upon your next steps of faith, I'm going to invite you simply to raise your hand and keep it up just for a little bit so that I can note. And then right here in the middle, about four rows back, God bless you. Thank you. And then to my left, all the way back in the back, several hands I'm seeing raised there. Over to my right, God bless you, toward the back on my right. And when I call out these sightings, <laughs> brothers, sisters, we're praying for each one, aren't we? Lord Jesus, for every person who right now has lifted their hand saying, my heart is open, and I'm trusting you, Jesus, for more. Be my Savior. We pray that your joy, unspeakable and full of glory, could begin bubbling up in their soul that they could know what you meant when you said, I came so that your joy might be full and my joy might be in you. In your name we pray, amen.